We are counting down the most watched Christianity Still Makes Sense episodes of 2023. As we approach the end of the year, please remember your support fuels our effort to reach a wider audience, bringing comfort and encouragement to those doubting the Christian faith. Backing our channel, you become an integral part of this ministry, impacting lives and fostering a sense of community. Your contribution enables us to create more meaningful content and provide resources that nourish the soul. Together, let's amplify the light of Christ in the digital space. Whether through prayers or donations or simply sharing this content, every gesture makes a difference. Join our mission and help us continue this faith journey, spreading God's love far and wide by visiting ChristianityStillMakesSense.com and clicking donate. Together, we can touch hearts, inspire change, and make a positive impact on the lives of many. Thank you for being a beacon of support in our shared mission. An atheist called The Pastor's Perspective Show. Bobby takes a deep dive into his objections on this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. Welcome to the show that loves doubters. On this channel, we are making sense of Christianity by making sense of the doubts that can deconstruct us with near apostate and now apologist and pastor, Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Bobby, an, an atheist called Pastor's Perspective and asked a really great question. So I want to play kind of his opening question, and then I'd like for you to kind of just share some of your thoughts on the conversation, and then we'll address his concerns. Hey, um, I just had a question. I was wondering, you know, I don't believe in, in God, um, and I always get into arguments with my mother. Long story short, if God is uh, omniscient and all-knowing, why would he, and all-powerful, why would he send someone like me down, an atheist? Um, he knows my future. He knows I'll die an atheist. Why would he send me down in the first place, knowing that, um, to, to then have me spend eternity? So that, that's kind of the essence of what he's talking about. So, so just give some reflections a little bit on your conversation with him before we dive into some other questions. Well, I was very thankful that uh, he called the show. He was driving along and he was listening to a conversation. And this is a nationally syndicated radio show where people can uh, call up. And he shared about growing up in the church. But his contention uh, was he began thinking about the doctrine of hell. And he really began to struggle with the idea that God created people knowing, given the fact that God's all-knowing, God created people knowing that they would reject him and go to hell. So his point, well, why did God send me down there? Well, first off, uh, it wasn't like God sent us down to earth as if we were pre-existing in right. heaven. Uh, so we start off uh, our journey on earth. But his question's fair, and I think that we sought to reconcile it. And as we dig into today's show, I thought it would be good for us to kind of move toward an explanation for us to understand how is it that we can cope with the thought of hell and people's fate that were created who would never believe in God and why would God do that? And was there another way around it? Yeah. Uh, and again, like the, the fate of the unsaved is a hard pill for all of us to swallow. So Bobby, before we kind of get into some of those nitty gritty details of his question, what are some ways that you know people have sought to reconcile this tension with the future prospect of hell? I do think that uh, some just accept it. Uh, they see it in the Bible and they're able to 
accept it. And I think that's a good thing for us as Christians to be able to accept it. I do also think it should tear our hearts up, the fact that people uh, will reject God and spend eternity separated from him. Um, some people uh, make the doctrine very unpleasant. I'm thinking of perhaps the hyper-Calvinists who ascribe to a double predestination, that God predestines those who would believe to heaven, but he also predestines some to hell. And that becomes very problematic for lots of people. Others uh, try to circumvent hell altogether. Uh, for example, uh, you would have the universalist. So uh, Origen was a church father who was deemed a heretic uh, for some of his beliefs, but he kind of had an allegorical interpretation of scripture, but he was also a universalist. So basically everybody's going to end up in heaven. Uh, you'll have some that hold to an annihilationism view. Uh, this would still allow for God's justice to be meted out, but it limits the duration. So instead of hell being eternal, uh, you're going to hell, uh, you're going to be paying for your sins, but kind of like an ice cube that melts in the heat, so too will this person ultimately be annihilated and destroyed out of existence. Uh, Rob Bell came out with a book several years ago called Love Wins. I wrote a book challenging it called Hell, Rob Bell, and What Happens When People Die, uh, he really struggled with it. And he talks in the book uh, about how there was this art show and one woman included her work and her work at an art show, a quote from Gandhi. And somebody went up and posted, well, he's in hell. And that really bothered Bell. And I can understand like how taste List it is for somebody to just go, oh, he's in hell. Uh, I think sometimes Christians could be a little bit more tasteful and sensitive in the way that they speak about such an aghast concept as hell. But nevertheless, uh, you know, if Gandhi was a Hindu and he rejected Jesus, and we know uh, that he did, unless something just happened in the final seconds of his head uh, before the lights went out, so to speak, uh, you know, those good works is not what merits one salvation. It's the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so he struggled with this and wanted to make, um, you know, heaven broader for people, uh, more inclusive, so to speak. But I referred to him as a postmortem nuanced purgatorial inclusivist, which is a mouthful, but nevertheless, I think it uh, more captured Bell's view than a full-fledged universalist. But there's a real problem uh, we don't have the right, Tim, to, uh, you know, write off what Scripture has to say. The Bible doesn't teach universalism. The Bible does talk about hell, and frankly, Jesus is our main educator on the topic. We're really trying to dive into this atheist question. So I think one of the things that kind of comes out of that is why didn't God just create us like the angels who seemingly found themselves in heaven uh, being believers? I think, you know, that, that's kind of a, a pre-question to this atheist question. So how would yeah. you respond to that? Yeah, I think that's great uh, what you are saying, Tim. I mean, what we're doing here is we're asking questions. Uh, we're coming up with hypothetical scenarios, counterfactuals. We're thinking about, hey, uh, you know, what if God did it this way? And yeah, so some would say, like, why didn't God just create us like the angels uh, who seemingly found themselves only in heaven to believe? 
Right. Well, that's not the case. They too had a choice, right? Jesus said of Satan, I saw him fall like lightning in Luke 10, 18. Uh, the angels had a choice to make. Uh, some rebelled and they're known as the fallen angels. But those that didn't rebel uh, believed and it seems as if their fate was sealed. And so they did have free will and Satan freely chose to rebel. So those who rejected God obviously were cast out and those who didn't, uh, they were able to seal their faith by living with God forever in the same way that a believer can seal his or her fate by trusting in Jesus freely. And then the spirit seals us with a redemption leading toward glorification. So in, in your assessment, why do you think God didn't just create us all as believers from, from jump? I think the scenario uh, would have been possible, but I don't think we realize what we're asking for. Mm. So why didn't God just create us all as believers? Uh, could God have done that? Well, I think he could have done that, but here's the question. Could he have done that and let us have our freedom? And I don't think that is possible. Uh, now, some would say, well, why not? Um, I mean, you know, aren't you saying in that way that God can't do something? Well, we often say that, you know, God can't, uh, you know, lie and God can't sin and that's it. But that's not the case. God can't um, know what it's like to be Bobby as if he is Bobby. Uh, God can't make a, uh, you know, a round square. Uh, you know, there's things that God uh, can't do, like God can't make another God that uh, was uncreated like himself. So there are things that God can't do. And so the question is, that's not a limitation on God. When it talks about God being all powerful, we're talking about God being able to do the logically possible. So I think that what would have to give for God to create us as believers is we would have to lose free will. Now, just think about that. How much do we resist his will now? Like we would hate the thought from a free standpoint of our freedom being taken away, right? Like, uh, do we really think the solution is to have lost our will altogether? That would make us more like robots than humans. Besides, from our freedom, we can hear people already retorting, how dare God not create people uh, with freedom? So, of course, you'd have to be free uh, to make this kind of a claim. Uh, but nevertheless, I think Hugh Ross at Reasons to Believe put God wanted, uh, he says, God wanted beings that would love him. Love is possible only among free will beings. Hence, God created us with the freedom to choose who we want to relate to. So he goes on to say, we all get to choose whether we want to spend eternity in a relationship with God or without God. Well, I, I want to get to kind of the nub, maybe the added piece of this freedom that I think the atheist was really asking uh, in that question on pastor's perspective. But before we do, yeah. I just want to remind our audience that this is a listener-supported show, and we have a new show. This is Christianity Still Makes Sense. You can find out more resources at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. While you're there, you can uh, donate to the show and continue to help things like resources like this continue to happen. You can also find other resources. Uh, you can find out 
out the audio-only podcast there, and you can check out uh, a link to Pastor's Perspective to watch full shows there. So we would love for you to uh, to join us. If you're watching us on YouTube, we would invite you to subscribe and like this video. It really helps us out. So, Bobby, let's let's get to this added freedom piece. Like, okay, so to get around why God didn't just create those people who he would knew would freely believe. So you added the freedom piece in there. Why didn't God just create us so that we'd freely believe? Yeah, that's getting closer, Tim. It's refining things. It's narrowing it down. And while that sounds easy, I'm not sure it is. Mm. Uh, This is a question about what philosophers refer to as God's middle knowledge. It's the knowledge that God has regarding counterfactuals. Uh, That is what people would do given different circumstances. So for example, the world that you and I believed in came with its own set of circumstances, all of which shaped who you and I are, Tim, which ultimately led us to believing in Christ. If you shake up the formula, so to speak, create another possible world where only those exist who freely believe, well, guess what? It's possible that you and I wouldn't have believed in Mm. that kind of world. And so therefore, we may not have been created then. So under this scenario uh, is what I'm referring to. So Tim, it, it, it was, for my case, it was my guilt that drove me to want a relationship with God. It, it was my sin. It was being in this broken world where we suffer, where we commit evil, where evil's committed against us. It was in that kind of a world where I recognized that I need a savior. William Lane Craig, the great Christian philosopher said, you can't just pluck people out of the actual world and stick them in another world and be guaranteed that they would make the same choices. So what led to our choices in this world where we freely believed in Christ was the circumstances that uh, were, uh, you know, dished out to us that we lived with. And so we can't then think, oh, well, if the world would have been different, uh, how can we guarantee that we would have believed in that world? So Mm -hmm. let's consider your question a little bit closer. Think about it like this. It's not um, as easy as just creating those who would freely believe. For example, how do we arrive on the world scene to begin with, Tim? God creates an original pair, right? Adam and Eve. But what happens next? Well, they're supposed to populate the planet, but you can't guarantee with freedom that future descendants won't sin. So Mm. it's possible that we could imagine a a scenario, say a different Adam and Eve, but a first pair, it's possible to imagine a possible world where this first pair God knew uh, wouldn't sin. But once the population begins to happen, and the domino effect, and you start getting millions upon millions upon millions of pairs, well, how do you guarantee a world with millions of people that all freely believe? So this doesn't mean, um, you know, that post Adam and Eve, once the world was populated, that there is a world where no one uh, would freely not sin. I realize this gets complex, but think about Adam and Eve, like their first kids, Cain and Abel, it already got jacked up. Like their first pair, I imagine 
Adam was like, hey, kids, we need to follow God's plans. Your mom and I, uh, you know, we got booted out of the garden. God clearly warned us. And that's why we can't go in that place over there. So really learn from us. Pay attention here. It's important that we're obedient. And then what happens, right? Well, you get murder from the first pair, their first children, Cain offs Abel. So I think that says something about how weak all of us is. Adam and Eve in the garden fall with freedom and then their kids. Well, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed about you, particularly Bobby, is your ability to kind of imagine different scenarios or, you know, kind of put your thinking cap on and, and really do a deep dive into these philosophical, you know, territories. So let's, let's do that here. Can you think of any other scenarios where God could have created a world comprised only of those who would freely believe? Well, perhaps he could have bypassed a first pair like an Adam and Eve. And again, we're thinking of possible worlds. This is just complete hypotheticals right here. And just created everybody who would freely believe at once. So in other words, you wouldn't have a first pair. You would just have everybody whom God knew would believe, but they're all created at once. Mm. So, but creating them all at once as believers would imply that God would know something about what would have made them believe had they been given a life to live before believing. So for example, uh, to create people as believers already, the believer would need a way to know that he freely believed. So perhaps the scenario would be that God then would have created us to wake up in heaven, let's say. Mm. Uh, But then he sort of uploaded a narrative of information into our head of the way that we would have lived had we lived given God's counterfactual knowledge of who we are, even though we never really lived that way. There's a real problem with that though. That's, uh, that would make God deceptive because uh, that would base our relationship on an illusion, on a counterfactual that never happened. Right. So William Lane Craig, uh, in one of his questions of the week where he was addressing this, uh, he ended up stating this. On this view, the view that I'm talking about, your whole past life is a delusion. Your loves, your accomplishments, your times of worship, it's all illusory. I'm persuaded that it would be incompatible with the goodness of God to do such a thing. It is deceitful and God is true and not a deceiver. He treats people with respect as moral agents distinct from himself and allows the freedom, uh, allows them the freedom to make decisions. So I think that's helpful. Now, given all the above, perhaps the other option is for God to have never created anybody at all to circumvent hell. But then this would cause me to ask, is it fair to those who would freely believe to be robbed of the chance to know God at the expense of God, at the expense of those uh, who cared not to believe? Hmm. Uh, Perhaps someone might then retort, well, why not just create us, uh, you know, why not just create us but not create hell? But then we'd have to say, well, what of justice? How are we going to deal with justice? Uh, But then perhaps the other option, someone might say, well, what about annihilationism, which would allow someone to experience justice for their temporal life of sin, but not eternal justice. And some do hold to that view, Tim. 
but if hell is eternal, how is it that we can say that's a just punishment? Well, I like the way that uh, William Lane Craig describes it. It makes sense to me. The reason the punishment goes on forever is because the sinning goes on forever. So it's not like we would sin less in hell. We would sin more. God's general grace would be removed from us. So what might be the problem with all this philosophical thinking? And again, we're doing a lot of philosophical thinking here. So if somebody is listening and they're like, man, I need to go back and listen to that, go to our YouTube channel, check out the podcast, listen again. But what's the problem with all this philosophical thinking? Well, it sounds like we're playing God, right? It's Mm -hmm. us thinking how we could have done it better. And the irony is, is we're the ones who sinned. We're the fallen ones trying to think about how we might have advised God. And so something makes me uneasy about this, Tim. And frankly, I think it should, given that we're not God. (laughs) Totally, totally. Well, and again, this is a real concern for those that are doubting and and who are deconstructing. I mean, it it may be one of the top objections that I hear in my conversations. So I think it would be helpful to kind of uh, hear at the end of the show for you to just unpack a little bit of what are some of the things that we can learn about God that we would have never been able to learn uh, apart from the fall, uh, particularly of Adam and Eve that that you were discussing earlier? Well, I think it's true that God desired to create both A, a perfect world, and Mm -hmm. B, a world in which humans were truly free. But the question is, could that world exist without moral failure? Mm. And it doesn't seem like that's the case. And yet there are certain attributes about God that become transparent after the fall that would have been forever concealed from us had there not been a fall. I'm thinking of attributes, Tim, such as God's unconditional love. Hmm. How would we know that we're loved unconditionally if we met all the conditions? Yet we realize when we don't meet the conditions that he loves us unconditionally. How would we understand concepts like God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness? Three wonderful, beautiful attributes of God. Like what is forgiveness in a world where you never need to be forgiven or grace or mercy for that matter? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think we should end by possibly giving some advice, you know, those people that are saying, okay, Bobby, I'm hanging with you here. Uh, You know, so what advice would you offer to help uh, believers who are struggling with the concept of hell to remain faithful to God? I think first off, we need to remember that the Bible is not ours to change, to assuage our emotional angst about the topic. Mm. Second, I think that we need to remember that God is just. Uh, The Bible teaches that. Right. Deuteronomy 32, four for one verse, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. Third, I think we need to remember, uh, you know, the statement that Abraham said before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, will not the judge of the earth do what is just in Genesis 18, verse 25. Fourth, I think we need to remember that Peter uh, was troubled by this, but he says in Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, right? But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but rather that all should reach repentance. A fifth thing we can remember is that no one will be without excuse. We're all going to be held accountable for the knowledge that we did have. And so we see this in Romans 1, 20, that none will be without excuse. And finally, I think we need to remember, Tim, that God is good. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 25, verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. So ultimately, Tim, the question comes down to 
trust for us. Do we trust God? Do we believe that God is good? I remember flying home from India. I was in the 1040 window and I was so wrecked in this season of doubt that I was going through about the fate of the unsaved. I thought, my goodness, do people just generation after generation just, uh, you know, die only to go to hell here in India. And I was so burdened flying home from India. And I just remember sensing God's spirit touch me with words that would have sounded something like this. Bobby, uh, see how much your burden for these people. How much more do you think I care? And for some reason, it just helped me to realize, you know what? God is loving. God is just. God's not willing that any should perish. And the judge of the earth will do what is right. No one's going to be without excuse. Ultimately, I throw myself into trusting God and remembering that he's a faithful and loving God. Well, amen to that. And, and I think the person that has this sort of objection or this sort of concern uh, with Christianity, uh, is it, it's rooted in empathy. It's rooted in sympathy. It's rooted in love for those, sure. uh, you know, who, who may perish. And so we, we commend the people that are, are you know, dealing with some of this, that are struggling with some of this. And we hope that the answers that we offered today were, were helpful. Any final thoughts in our, our last 30 seconds here? No, I just encourage people to realize that, look, we can come up with objections and we can walk away on account of them, but we don't have to. There's answers that we can give. No worldview is airtight and secluded from troublesome objections. Mm. So I think on Christianity, there's ultimate justice. On atheism, there's no ultimate justice. While you might be annihilated, Hitler, Mao Zedong, and others, well, guess what? They just get away with what they did and there's no ultimate justice. I would rather have a God who is just and yet trust him with some of the things that's hard to stomach about the idea and concept of hell. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. We will meet you on the next episode of this show.